When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Was the Lakers season as bad as it sounds? Why did Magic have an epic meltdown? Is there hope for them going into next season? The only question left is, say it with me, you win. Hey, sports fans, Coach Nick here, and welcome to the B-Ball Breakdown Podcast. I am pleased to be on location with the Hollywood Hoops podcast people that is comprised of Eric Pincus of Bleacher Report and Basketball Insiders and Josh Martin, Managing Editor of Close Up 360. Guys, thank you so much. Eric, tell me how you're doing today. I'm doing quite well. Okay. I'm uh, happy to have you here. We're in my lovely home, I, I like to think. And uh, I've known Nick forever, so thank you for including us on, uh, on the conversation. Well, hey, thank <laughs> you for letting me in your house. And Josh Martin, how is it going with you today? I'm doing all right. You know, it's a busy day. You know, there's pro days going on around L.A. It's it's deep into draft time. Obviously, we're all looking ahead to the finals as well. And, of course, there's, as usual, there's lots of Lakers news and scuttle floating around, which we were all catching up on before we sat down to record this. Absolutely. Well, I always like to be in the same room with people talking to them. It's a lot better of a conversation. So, you know, strap in, sports fans. We have a good conversation with the Lakers here. And um, let's get into it because... I've been a little bit busy, you know, covering some of the games that have been going on. Meanwhile, over at the, uh, in the Lakers facilities, there's a lot of stuff going on. You guys have the finger on the pulse of what it is. Uh, where can we go? What's ground zero? What's the beginning of, the, of where we are now? Where can we trace all these issues? I mean, honestly, it all, it's the passing of Dr. Buss, which is, what, 2013. Mm-hmm. And the Lakers haven't found direction since. And that's something that they're clearly striving to do. That's something that Jeannie Buss, as the owner, passionately wants to do, and the challenge is actually doing that. Uh, it was originally her brother, Jim, who ran the basketball, and she ran the business. And Jim's plan was to take their time, build through the draft, and then try to go after free agents. They didn't land free agents and spent their money on Timofey Mozgov mm-hmm. and Luol Dang, right? And that set them back additionally for another number of years. Uh, she got rid of her brother as far as basketball and took over, put Magic Johnson in charge. And Magic didn't do a very good job, is what we're learning. And I could have told you that as it was happening, that there were gaps in what he was doing that weren't succeeding. Uh, but he did land LeBron James, right? And that's, mm-hmm. that's not something to sneeze at. I'd say, and, if, and if LeBron doesn't get hurt, they were third or they were fourth in the West at the time. So maybe a healthy season and this team right now is still playing. Now, do I think they were that good? I don't think they were ever elite, elite. But I thought you put LeBron in the playoffs... You get to the trade deadline, maybe you have an opportunity. None of that happened. So uh, Magic stepped down, he left, and obviously there's a certain amount of chaos. So uh, Laker fans are dying right now. The media is just destroying them and self-earned for a lot of it. And yet in five weeks, they may be completely successful in free agency and in trade, or they may completely fail and have nothing to show for it but LeBron and spend the last two, three years, next three years of LeBron's career, two, three years, 
not succeeding. That's, these are all possible paths, and I'm curious to see how it comes out. Well, well, Josh, it seems like there are lots of blips on the timeline between when uh, Dr. Buss was died and where we are now mm-hmm. that would indicate uh, evidence of why we're here now. So any, anything that strikes you and that sticks out in your mind right now of certain little pieces of uh, things that happened throughout this course? Well, I mean, you can go back to uh, when the Lakers were trying to uh, find, a, find their, head coaching, their head coaching situation to sort that out when they acquired Steve Nash. Um, and Dwight Howard, you know, there was some thought that maybe, uh, maybe Phil Jackson would be the choice. And this was like shortly before Dr. Buss passed. And um, a lot of folks were clamoring for Phil to come back for a third tour of duty. Instead, uh, Jim and Mitch decided to hire Mike Brown. And then they fired Mike Brown. Um, and I guess Phil was, sorry, Phil was involved after that, after Mike Brown was fired. Right. There's, the timelines get, Anto- get mixed up. They went with D'Antoni. Yeah, they went right. with D'Antoni instead. That upset Jeannie. Um, so there's a lot of that sort of sibling rivalry between there. And it's a lot of this, I think, is indicative of just how the Lakers have been as an organization for a long time. They're a family business. And in the NBA, teams are no longer really run like family businesses. They're more, run more like corporations because 29 of the 30 other ownership groups are owned predominantly by folks who, while they certainly have families of their own, for them, they come from the corporate world. They've started these major businesses. They're billionaires who have a certain type of experience, and so they're trying to either build that organization a certain way or allow other people to oversee that. Uh, and so there still is very much that that family feel to the Lakers, it seems, for better, and I guess in this case, for worse, where it's about you know who do you trust personally, who do you know, who do you know personally, not who is the best fit uh, for the job. And so... I think that's all kind of built to this point, and we're in maybe years past, and for the start of the season, you know, winning obviously cures a lot of ills. I think we're seeing the flip side of that now, where losing really can rip open that wound. Now to the extent where everybody knows all of the Lakers, maybe not all of the Lakers' dirty laundry, but certainly a lot more of it than maybe they knew in years past, in part because Magic Johnson went on national television and aired <laughs> it. So uh, it's, a, it's a very unique situation in that way, and um, one that continues to captivate the basketball world, yourself included, and us included, obviously, even though we're about to we're on the precipice of the NBA Finals when really that should be the top story that you think about with basketball. For sure. Well, they caught us in a weird you know schedule where there's all these days in between and there's not much to talk about. Um, how about this notion? You know, I had pointed it out when it happened uh, 13 days into the season. Matthew Johnson has a really serious discussion with Luke Walton about his job. I, I remember it being reported that maybe he had, you had eight games to like save your job. I think he, <laughs> and obviously he, he did, but is there a, and I, and I pointed it out then that I don't think that there was a, it was coincidence that Ty Lon, Tyron Lou had stopped coaching the Cavaliers within a few days of that conversation happening. Eric thoughts about that. <laughs> uh, I would, I know that LeBron's people and that's pretty much rich Paul and, and the group of people that they work with have been, pretty staunchly anti-Luke Walton from the get-go. And you know that in part because of, like, when media people say LeBron's people, that, that's, that's who that is. And there was a lot of reports. And if you read the Baxter Holmes article on ESPN, he kind of goes into detail saying that Rich Paul was telling Adam Silver that they happened to meet and told Adam Silver and complained about Luke Walton, which doesn't make a lot of sense to me. Uh, Go on, explain <laughs> that. You can't. <laughs> like, why would, why would an agent talk to the commissioner of the league about what a, a team's coach like that's not the commissioner. The commissioner doesn't 
recommend or tell teams to fire or change coaches. It's just not his role. You know what I mean? Unless the, like there's something like, you know, uh, something legal, like a legality thing where the coach does something outrageously illegal and they have to like, no, this mm-hmm. guy can't coach, which is not what we're talking about. Uh, so at the same time, like who would they want? Well, that, the, the recommendation from Rich Paul to Adam Silver, according to Baxter Holmes, was Teron Lou. And, and Lou is Lou's someone they're comfortable with because he knows the drill. He knows how to win with LeBron, and winning with LeBron in and of itself is a, is a challenge, right? Mm-hmm. He's a, a dominant player, and that's not, I'm not criticizing him because it, it was hard to win with Kobe. It was hard to win with Shaq. It was hard to win with what they had in Boston when they won. It was hard to win. It's, it's just hard to win, period. And individuals like Chris Paul, Doc Rivers, he's having a, much, he's having a lot more fun, very visibly not coaching Chris Paul than coaching Chris Paul because he, Doc Rivers can coach the way he wants to coach now Instead of, Rich, uh, instead of Chris Paul doing whatever Chris Paul wants to do. And that's, again, these are the most elite players on earth who have the ball, and it's very hard to get them to do it the way that you want to do it, right? You have to coach within what they want to do and work them in. And so that's LeBron. And Lou knows that and knows how to deal with that. And so I get that. And uh, well, it, it and didn't happen. Thank you for the clickbait quote of the Chris Paul and the Doc Rivers. That'll be really great to, uh, to, bl- <laughs> to blast you out on Twitter. <laughs> Um, uh, Josh, what do you think about like what was the issue they had with, with Luke Walton's coaching? Well, I think part of it probably comes down to how Luke wanted to play. Speed may have been an issue, but I think it was more about you know how Luke wanted to disperse the playmaking. And I guess maybe part of that was a result of the roster where the Lakers didn't prioritize shooters. They got playmakers, people to, in theory, relieve LeBron of the pressure of having to make all the plays. And Magic had even said at one point publicly that we don't want to be like Cleveland, which I thought was a little bit curious because Cleveland had just been to the finals four times, which as far as I understand it is sort of the objective of sure. playing in the NBA is to at least get to that level and hopefully win. Um, but you know, Luke wanted to empower other players, not just Le- uh, LeBron, to make plays, especially the younger players, you know, guys like Lonzo Ball and Brandon Ingram in particular. And, while that makes a lot of sense from a developmental perspective and where the Lakers were the previous season, you know, trying to turn these guys into legit players, see what they have, um, embolden them and allow them to make mistakes and get better. That perspective changes, obviously, once you have LeBron on your roster, and you have these other veterans. So it changes the outlook and changes the timeline. And so maybe at some level, Luke was trying to do both at once because that's what his charge was ultimately. That's what the job was. Um, but, you know, once you get to a point where you have LeBron, it probably behooves you to run your offense through him as much as possible, at least when he's on the floor. And it seems that maybe LeBron and, and his folks weren't quite as thrilled with that because that leads to a lot of mistakes when you have younger players trying to make plays and ultimately having their issues with that. If you have a podcast or are thinking about starting one, because, you know, who isn't starting a podcast these days? And you have to join the over 140 million others that use Wix to publish their shows. You can start and publish for free, choose from over 500 stunning templates, did I say stunning, and unlimited storage. The design is so easy to use with drag and drop technology that in only a few minutes, you'll be up and running. One of the best ways to get your podcast noticed is to have a beautiful hosting site And Wix will do that for you with their artificial intelligence and built-in SEO so that all the search engines easily find your site. 
Best of all, you can save 10% off your yearly premium plan if you head over to Wix.com slash podcast. That's W-I-X.com slash podcast. Wix, the place to create professional websites. I always found it impressive that LeBron was willing to be part of an offense that had the highest pace in the league for the whole year while he was mm-hmm. playing. So that seemed to indicate something of him being okay because I would imagine LeBron would have preferred to keep it a little bit slower and set things up, let him get you know run the offense that way. So it was a weird. It was weird to me that 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 was happening. Yet I, I it might just be built into LeBron. He simply you know, when he comes to situation, he simply needs more control than he can get. And in this situation, since Luke had been there for several years, he wasn't, you know, it just was sort of like an obstacle he needed to get to have. We, we saw it happen with Blatt, uh, right earlier. And, you know, most of the coaches he's coached that don't last like the, when he, the first one he inherits, I think, um, which is also just natural in the NBA that happens anyway. So, uh, I just found that also really curious, uh, how, how, you know, there was something going with, with Luke. Uh, at some point, though, it seemed Luke knew that he was gone, right? Is there, was there indications <laughs> yeah. at some point? When was that? Uh, when did you say Magic had that conversation with him? <laughs> <laughs> 13 days into the season. Right. Okay. Uh, I think that Luke thought that just doing good work would give him a shot. Uh, and then when he got hurt, LeBron got hurt, I don't know if every, everyone realized in that moment that the season was over. Uh, the hope was he wouldn't only be out a couple of weeks, and that was never realistic. It was always going to be at least a four to six week kind of recovery, and the team couldn't recover. And then they had other injuries along the way. Luke lined up his next job, which is the right thing to do. If you see, if you're like, mm-hmm. I'm going to get fired, he got the Sacramento Kings job, and he was expecting to be fired after the last day of the season, and then Magic steps down, and that was the guy who wanted to fire him, and so now suddenly it's like I got I got a job lined up. And yet I'm not fired. Please fire me. (laughs) (laughs) And so the Lakers, what they did initially, because Magic didn't tell Jeannie Buss that this was happening, like any organization under that kind of duress, which is, you can't put that on the Lakers. That was on Magic, right? They had to huddle up, bunker down, and like come up with a plan. And so they needed some time. And in the midst of that, Luke was like, hey, I I need a decision because I'll stay, but I need an extension if I'm staying. Right, because I don't want to stay and just have one more year. I got a job lined up, and so basically both sides agreed. The Lakers, we're not there yet. We're not ready to make a decision. We're not ready, definitely not ready to give you an extension. So go take your job in Sacramento. Mm-hmm. You got the job in Sacramento. It's done. Right. So it, I think, it's just one of those situations where it worked out in the end for Luke. He was in the bad place for him. And it's a shame because he's got like a roots and he's a good person, at least from my experience. I know we, he has the sexual assault thing, which is kind of hanging over his head, uh, which is upsetting because I also know Kelly Tennant, uh, the person accused. And so I, I have empathy for both sides. I don't know what happened. And I, you know, you sort of thing you just want to pretend never happened. Fortunately, it's life. So hopefully there's some explanation. I, I have, from my experience, Luke is a good person. I've enjoyed being around him, not just now, but I actually covered when he was a player. So, mm-hmm. uh, but it, what's done is done. He's Sacramento, and now getting to know Frank Vogel, even though I don't, he, he what, had three lines at his own introductory press conference right? because the Lakers didn't have a press conference before then, right? That was magic left. The first time we get to talk to anyone with the Lakers on the record was that press conference. Because of that, that took away from learning about Frank Vogel. Lakers should have had a press conference a week before that. Rob, here, put on a shield, put on some riot gear. The media is going to go to town on you. Get it over with. 
And then let's have a nice press conference a week later, and we can talk to Frank Vogel and actually ask him about basketball. And unfortunately, that didn't happen. So I got a basketball question in to Frank. Uh, I figured I, I'd sneak one in before the, <laughs> before everyone you know dove in on, on Palinka. And I'm not saying they, that he didn't deserve to be gone in on the. We needed to know what the heck's going on with the Lakers, right? Mm-hmm. We didn't find out until that press conference. So I I can't tell you much about Frank Vogel and how the Lakers are going to play because. At his press conference, he only answered like three questions. Wow. So I, I guess for people who didn't see that, it just got become a swamped uh, everything for Palinka because we have to get to Palinka. We haven't even talked about him yet. <laughs> yeah. But so so the introductory of Frank Vogel uh, uh, press conference ended up becoming swamped with uh, Palinka questions. Yeah. There were there were some in particular that were like specifically, what is the makeup of the front office? What's the org chart essentially? Which is obviously very deep in the weeds, but it's something that not just media people, but fans through the media wanted to know that folks have been clamoring for. I'm sure you've gotten lots of heat for it or lots of questions about it on Twitter. Yep. A lot of folks really wanted to know like what Jason Kidd's role was going to be, but there was no time for those questions. And that is certainly relevant to Frank Vogel because that's his staff. So mm-hmm. I'm sure folks would want to know, at least from Frank's perspective, what does it mean to have Jason Kidd? And I guess on the negative side, what are the implications of having someone like Jason Kidd working as an assistant under you when his previous coaching experience was only as a head coach in Brooklyn and in Milwaukee. Well, let me bring that up because you cannot convince me that Tyron Lue turned down the job because they insisted that Jason Kidd be his assistant. I can't believe that that wasn't an issue for Tyron Lue primarily because, well, think about how, how Tyron Lue got his job. He was the assistant, you know, associate head coach, and he snuck in there however he did it to take right. over from Vlad. Well, he has to imagine the same thing could happen again in his position. Right. Well, Kidd doesn't have a great reputation in coaching circles because he pursued the Milwaukee job when Larry Drew had the job. Yes. And that is, that is frowned upon by coaches. Like, pursue a job when it's available, but don't undercut another coach. But, and, but he also pursued it while he was still a coach of the Nets. Yeah, that's true as well. So <laughs> it, it was kind of double, double indemnity. So it's, it's a rough situation there. And then, uh, I don't know, I think Lou's main reason for rejecting the Lakers is simply money because that's, typically what that's more like you could work it out with kid you could you could draw a hard line but if they're offering you five years and that's great but if they're only offering you three that's a whole different thing and that's the problem okay and i gotta give you props for that you're right the 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 number of years was crazy you don't you don't offer a guy who's won a championship a three-year deal right right? like just seems that's just ridiculous and that's not even a negotiating tactic right that's just dumb i don't know well is there an explanation for why they do that i i personally believe it's an experience like Plinka and Kurt Rambis have never hired a coach before, right? They've never hired a coach before, so okay. they misjudge the market. Like, wow. to me, if you want a shorter deal, fine, come in at four, right? Come in at four and negotiate that and figure it out. Like, fight for four. If you want four, don't come in at three and then draw a line at three and then he's saying five. Maybe they would have settled at four, but it's like, it right. just, they didn't approach it the right way. Uh, who knows? Who knows the? You know, we, we, I, I, I can tell you that in like a year or maybe a year and a half, I'll probably be able to give you more detail because people right now, when things are fresh, are very protective of information and try to spin it their way. But once it's like a memory and Tyron lose a coach somewhere else and Vogels had a great year and the Lakers signed or had all the success or maybe they didn't, but people get looser with their lips and share. So I, we'll have to revisit if there's something more to the story. But to me, it just seems like they just didn't offer the right amount of money. Before I forget, I want to make sure everyone knows that um, while you guys are gracious enough to come on my podcast here, 
Uh, I'll also be on your podcast, Hollywood yes. Hoops, uh, coming up, I guess, in the very quickly, very short uh, period of time. So make sure you stay tuned for that and hear me weighing in on the, I guess, the NBA Finals and the preview there, which would be interesting. I had some really interesting ideas that I've come up with this morning uh, looking through the film. So, nice. uh, But we got to talk about Rob Palinka, okay? Mm-hmm. Rob Palinka's role in this. And you, you've mentioned a few times now this notion of inexperience. He had never had a, a GM role. I, I'm trying to rack my brains to think of any other GMs I knew who came in as green like this, who hadn't been an assistant GM or worked in the front office before. Mm. Well, Bob Myers sort of... Uh... Ah, well, he's he's illustrated as that example of a GM who came in as a, a agent. former agent, right? Mm-hmm. The difference is that he started out working with a, a long list of people, like they had uh, Travis Schlenk, they had Jerry West, they have Larry Harris, Larry mm-hmm. Riley, yeah. uh, and I'm probably forgetting a few people. He was so, an assistant under right. Larry Riley until exactly. he took over the top job. So, but uh, there is someone in Minnesota by the name of Khan, okay, who came from the media. And uh, didn't draft Steph Curry, drafted two point guards ahead of Steph Curry. Mm-hmm. So there are people who have done this before. And is there someone you could say? I mean, the, the best example of someone who came into a role that didn't have experience would be Pat Riley, who went from like essentially the broadcast booth to coaching yeah. the Lakers. Yeah. So, it, you know, it's certainly. Right. And coaching is different, I think, right? right? Coaching is different. But certainly, even like Bob Myers did have an assistant experience where he could learn a little bit about the ins and outs. Right. Um, so, so here we are, though, and, and clearly anything you would have predicted as far as uh, issues with uh, inexperience came about, right? Where do we start? What were the, what, what's the first issue we could point out to that it became a, a thing with Polinka that we could point to? Jeez, there's... Who they signed? I mean, that's, that's a, certainly a start to it. Um, you know, you could, you could go on any number of different routes, whether it's um, the trade negotiations or lack thereof for Anthony Davis. Part of the difficulty, though, and I think you can speak to this as well, Eric, is that I think it's there's a lot of confusion around the league as far as who, if you're trying to get work done with the Lakers, who are you supposed to talk to? Do you talk to Magic mm-hmm. or do you talk to Rob? Who's really in control? And more importantly, who do you want to deal with? Right. Are you are you more prone to try? Were you more prone to dealing with Magic because you know I guess he's a friendlier guy and easier to talk to, or do you bite the bullet and try to talk to Palenka because maybe he's the one who's actually doing the work and actually getting things done on the ground? Well, I mean, Rob had experience with like Daryl Morey because he represented James Harden and they together negotiated like they did a renegotiation of Harden's contract, which was somewhat groundbreaking at the time. And it wasn't something that people were used to in the, like is a taking advantage of the rules and, and were able to pay him when people didn't anticipate, like the league didn't see that coming, right? The NBA, when they, had um, basically they were able to use their cap room to give him a raise in that season and basically, in so many words, rip up his contract and pay him more. Uh, and that's, you can't do that and pay someone less in the league, but you can rip up someone's contract, so to speak, and pay them more, and that's what they did. And so if, if the Lakers needed to negotiate with Houston, Plink could be great because he has a relationship. It's a relationship business. Uh, I would say if there's a, a problem is that the way that... You, his biggest client was Kobe, right? Mm-hmm. And Kobe had a very strong opinion on Palinka and communicating with the media, communicating in general. So, uh, and it even stems to Phil Jackson's point of view of, of keep a very tight circle and don't share your business. So I would see Rob at, at press conferences back then, and he didn't even talk. He, wouldn't, you, you, he was not friendly. And then I, I 
Uh, I host um, I hosted a panel at the sports business classroom uh, over in Las Vegas with Larry Kuhn, and we had uh, Palinka on actually the same day that uh, he did the Harden renegotiation, and he you did our panel, and I got to talk to him, and this was like the first time I had a real conversation with him, and I found him to be very bright mm-hmm. and engaging and charming and really. So there is someone who's smart and knows the business in there, but I hadn't seen that before. So I'm, I'm curious to see if he can salvage this and, and prove himself here because mm-hmm. working for Magic, Magic is very impulsive, uh, very passionate, and very strong opinionated. I don't know, very opinionated, right? So you can't tell Magic, no, like that's not a good idea. So if you're the GM, you're basically trying to wrangle and guide Magic to a good decision that you can't necessarily make a make. So is it Rob's fault that they traded Ivica Zubat's starting center, uh, even if he's young and not like, a, he's not a, you know, he's not Joel Embiid, but he's a nice starting center. Uh, for Mike Muscala, who proved at this point not even to be a rotation player for the Lakers when it mattered, right? Right. Do you blame that on Magic or Rob or both? And I, I, we don't really know, but ultimately it's Magic who was in charge. So I'm curious to see, is there something that we can learn about Rob that we don't know? But he's got to really, he can't just read stories and give anecdotes to the media and, tell, and, and, and we're just going to accept that and, and, and think highly of him. We need to see results and we need to understand what his messages are beyond platitudes. And so far we haven't gotten that. I, he didn't give us any stories and any anecdotes at the Frank Vogel presser. And I thought he took the high road and did as well as he could under a very difficult barrage of, of questions. Uh, but I don't know the answer if he's going to be good for this team or not. There's a lot of people out there in the league, other agents, uh, other teams, who don't speak highly of him and don't trust him. And there are some people in the Laker organization who say the same. And so that's, this is a hurdle that if he's, if he's good, we don't know, you know, he's got to overcome all of that. And, and maybe he does. I wouldn't give him great odds but certainly it's it's possible yeah, you never know but it's going to be tough a tough thing for him to deal with and there's a lot of obviously pressure this summer for rob and the lakers to get it together to be able to sign another big time free agent maybe to pull a trade for a big time player because obviously hovering over all this is still lebron james this is still the guy you have on your roster you've committed serious money to him and when you commit to lebron james you commit to a lot of an ecosystem, right, that you're bringing in to be a part of this. And it's worth it if you work it right because if you build a good team around LeBron, you can compete for a championship. And that's what the Lakers have done historically. Now, they haven't done it in about nine years. Now, it will have been at least 10 years when we get to the next season if the Lakers are able to somehow rebound to that level. But, um, yeah, they're, they're certainly up against it. There's a clock here. There's still a lot of roster issues that they have to work through. Obviously, a lot of internal organizational issues that they'll have to settle at least well enough where they can actually return their focus to basketball and mm-hmm. like the X's and O's of it and figuring out how to win games on the court as opposed to trying to figure out how to win PR battles off the court. For sure, for sure. I think that, you know, it, it's interesting to, to wrap this up in, in asking you guys, were both of you guys at the Magic Johnson impromptu press conference uh, i was there for that you, you were there yes okay. i was not you were not all right well um you know and it wasn't invitations were not sent out so don't feel left out <laughs> i know um but you know so so that was surreal and i and here's the thing you know magic had promised he would quit if he couldn't um uh bring more free agents into no what, what did he promise them for the summer before uh he promised he was going to get lebron 
He basically right. said that if I can't get a couple of these guys, yeah. then I'll step down. So he got LeBron. Does that qualify as two guys? Obviously not, I guess, because no. he stepped down. I don't okay. know. So, so, so my point being, that, like, maybe at that moment, at the end of the year, he started already realize, man, I'm not going to get these guys to sign. Kawhi Leonard's probably not coming to Lakers. Uh, Kevin yeah. Durant's probably not coming to the Lakers. No, I think they think Kawhi's coming. I think Magic right. thinks Kawhi's okay. coming. I think they think Kyrie's coming if they want him. I think they think they're going to get KAD. I think they believe, especially Magic. Okay. I think Magic believes in his own ability to produce success beyond the reality of that ability. Okay. So I would never think he would look in the mirror and say, I'm Magic Evan Johnson. I'm going to get this done. Right. Okay. Even if, you know, like Rome is burning kind of thing, he would still be like, I got this. Okay. All right. So, so you know, but give me some more insight. I'm, I'm just fascinated because it sounded like such a crazy experience to be there. Uh, you know, just can you give us a quick overview of how that all how it all unfolded and what happened with Magic? So LeBron was supposed to do his exit interview with the media before the game because LeBron was hurt, right? And he was going to go catch uh, Dwayne Wade's final game on the day that the Lakers were doing exits. So he was in the locker room. I guess he was getting treatment or whatever it was, but he was he was getting ready to talk to us. Okay, before or after the game? Before the game? Before the game? Right. There was a slotted time. This was pre-organized. Okay. Instead, Magic jumped out oh boy. and spent about 45 minutes talking with us about how he's... Yeah. What's great is, I don't know if you know uh, Andy Kamenetsky sure. and Brian Kamenetsky. Right Andy, uh, they, Andy has a great like eye, eye-popping moment where Magic says, you know, uh, as of this moment, I'm no longer you know, stepping down, et cetera, et cetera. And his eyes bulge for just like about two, two seconds maybe. Mm-hmm. And then he like pops back into like, oh yeah, I'm a media member and I've got to like look uninterested in everything that's going on. <laughs> uh, but it, and Magic just talked and talked. And then after he talked, he like, it, the person who broke it up was actually someone who works for ESPN who basically said, all right, that's enough. Let's just, let's go. Let's, he's going to talk forever and decided on behalf of the group to break it up. The Lakers, like the PR people went and had to go tell LeBron, like, okay, it's not going to happen because Magic overran his time. Mm-hmm. And they had to deal with like, oh, the president just quit. Like, so let's let Jeannie know, right? Right. So they weren't really like, oh, no, Magic, you know, and you can't really stop Magic from talking. So then Magic, after, walked down the corridor and then just started talking to more people and for like another 20 minutes. And then he went and found Rachel Nichols of ESPN and then did a thing with her. And like he, it, it was like, hello, I must be going, but he wouldn't leave. Right. I, I don't, I don't know. It, it, it was, it was truly one of the more unique experiences, uh, I, I don't really understand everything about it. Like why? I mean, he just un, just kept talking and talking. He's, he's also someone who spins his narratives and sells his story and, and, and talks about his point of view. Um, but I don't think he's someone who incorporates the entire picture accurately. It's definitely his point of view, but I don't think he's someone who is a reliable narrator. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that he embellishes and, and cleans things up uh, so that he's always that, the, the hero in his story, which is not abnormal. It's something a lot of people do. I just think he does it to a, probably a higher degree than most. Okay. Well, fascinating stuff. And we're talking about unique experiences. Certainly being with you guys here is, uh, was unique and uh, special. And thank you so much for, for breaking that down. I mean, I don't know in, in a half an hour if we could ever really encapsulate exactly what's happening with this. But overall, uh, it sounds like they have a, a mountain to climb. Um, how, how, what, what odds are we going to give uh, Palenka for pulling this out and actually moving forward uh, into next year? 
it may not be Palinka. It may just be the Lakers and their market and LeBron. Yeah. It may be overpowering where it just doesn't matter who's in charge. That might be the case. Or it might be that that they're in a lot of trouble. I don't I don't know the answer. Right, odds throw are, a number. Give me the odds. Me, I, I would say that the market trumps this in that I will give them the odds of having a successful season above fifty. Okay. Josh? I would tend to agree with that. I think that's a lot of what got LeBron here, and I think if all those other factors are good enough for LeBron, then they, they'll probably be good enough for at least one other star player. Oh, okay. I'm thinking without a star player, they got to the fourth seed. They would have been, you know, maybe they would have won the first round, and that would have been successful too. Mm-hmm. And going into next year, if let's say they don't sign a, like a huge name, you know, fourth seed, first round win, that's probably still somewhat, uh, you know, somewhat successful, I'd imagine, right? Uh, I think they'll probably look trade if they can't get a free agent. Uh, okay. It depends on, are they... <laughs> Are they willing to trade like the bulk of their kids? I think Brandon Ingram's the most tradable because he's due for a contract coming up, mm-hmm. and he averaged about 20 points a game uh, from a certain point in the season on, like December to when he got hurt. Uh, played the best basketball of his career, and I know that some people love his game and some people hate his game. It uh, depends on what you think. I would say Daryl Morey, probably someone who would not like his game because he's a mid-range scorer. Right. Right? Right. But it's also, if you watched uh, Kawhi, Right, or if you watch some of these teams, a lot of the shots, mm-hmm. the shot making that has to happen in these games sometimes is a mid range shot because you can do everything you can to take away uh, the basket and take away the three, and if that's what's available, that becomes a good shot. Right. Now I'm weak. Now I'm sure if Daryl Morey was in here, he would argue with us about that and explain to me why it's not the case. But I think there are some people who view someone as Brandon Ingram as a shot maker, and is he the most efficient shot maker? No, because he's in the mid range. Right, right. But there was a stretch, especially when the trade rumors happened, that uh, he he just he upped his game to a, a level that we've never seen before. But then there is a heart condition potentially, but there are not a heart condition, a blood condition. But they believe that it's it's solved and that it's yeah. healed. But some people might also say, well, so we'll All see. Right. There's a lot yeah. that we got to figure out, uh, <laughs> Nick and and Josh, and I, I can't wait to see. We, the good news is, like I said, about five weeks away from getting an answer. Well, for sure. Well, again, thank you guys for coming on the show and breaking this down for me. Uh, as sports fans, don't miss me on their podcast coming up really soon as I do a really cool uh, you know, finals preview with them. So uh, we will see you on the next side. And don't forget, sports fans, at B-Ball Breakdown, not a channel, we're a conversation. You in? Are you in, guys? Oh, we're already here. Listen, you got us. <laughs>